May I speak? Yes. Well, children, where there is so much racket, there must be something out of kilter. Twixt the Negroes of the South and the women at the North all talking about rights. White men gonna find themselves in a fix pretty soon. But what is all this here talking about? That man over there says that women ought to be helped into carriages, lifted over mud puddles, have the best place everywhere. Nobody ever helped me into a carriage, lifted me over a mud puddle, gave me any best place. And ain't I a woman? Look at me. Look at my arm. I planted and plowed and gathered into barns, and no man could head me. And ain't I a woman? I could work as much as a man, eat as much as a man when I could get it, and bear the lash as well. And ain't I a woman? I born 13 children. So most all into slavery. When I cried out in my mother's grief, none but Jesus heard me. And ain't I a woman? Then they talk about this thing in the head. Uh, what, what's it they call it? Intellect. That's it, honey. What's that got to do with women's rights and Negroes' rights? If my cup won't hold but a pint and yourn holds a quart, wouldn't you be mean not to let me have my half measure full? And then that man in black over there talking about, uh, uh, well, women can't have as much rights as men because Christ wasn't a woman. But where did Joe Christ come from? I said, where'd your Christ come from? From God and a woman. Man ain't had nothing to do with him. If the first woman God ever made was strong enough to turn the whole world upside down all alone, then all these women together ought to be able to turn it right side up again. Now, they asking to do it, and the men better let them. I'm obliged to y'all for hearing me, and now old Sojourner ain't got no more to say.
Attention out there, all you young people, or just young at heart. It's time for the message for all ages. Do you know how to bake? Have you ever tried? It's a lot of work. Recently, I made Oreo cinnamon rolls. What you say? I know I say. They were delicious, but they were kind of messy to make, and they also took a lot of hard work and a lot of patience. It reminded me of today's scripture where the land had been worked on for years, and so the people gave it a year of rest. They had to wait for an entire year before they could go back to planting their favorite fruits and vegetables. They could only eat what was already growing. A year is a long time. Since COVID hit, we've all been waiting too. Waiting to see our friends and families, waiting to go back to the things and places we enjoy. And in the midst of all this waiting, we've been seeing a lot of civil unrest in our neighborhoods and streets. Activists are in the streets demanding that black folks be able to be safe too. All black lives should matter and they are fighting to make sure that happens. Sometimes working for justice gets messy. But like my Oreo cinnamon rolls, sometimes get, things get messy before they get better, but only if you work hard and persevere. It's been a long time, too long. We're tired of waiting, waiting for white supremacy to end, waiting for COVID to go away. But we know that if we stay diligent, on the other side is freedom. Freedom to see our loved ones without endangering ourselves or others. Freedom for people who look like me to just simply live without racism. I know this can all feel like a lot. Shall we pray about it? Okay. Dear God, we are trying to be patient as we continue our work for justice and stay socially distant. Help us to know when things need to be messy, when we need to raise our voices and stamp our feet, and help us to know when we just need to take a few deep breaths. Amen. See you, you later. middle and happy pride. I'm so thrilled to be here with you this morning and to tell you about some of the incredible celebrations that we have coming up. Today at 3 p.m. you can join Jackie and Ruby Sales in an incredible conversation called National Cure, Heal the Soul, Heal the World, examining white supremacy and how we can cure our nation of it. Then at 7 o'clock our Jerice Johnson Gospel Choir is going to have an absolutely fabulous concert so we really hope that you're going to come and join us for that. You can stream that just like worship on middlechurch.org or on our Facebook or YouTube channels. Then on Wednesday, we have this phenomenal queer storytelling event coming up called Queer Faith in Our Own Words. We reached out to some of the most prophetic queer faith leaders and just people of faith around the country. Uh, and we've put together a, an amazing show that is going to air on middle member Georgia Bridger's YouTube channel. So you can go online and find out more information about that as well. Then next Sunday, on Pride Sunday, we are going to have a beautiful worship celebration. Myself 
and Edna Benitez and Lee Hill and Pose star Dominic Jackson will be preaching. And after worship, we're gonna have an incredible dance party that Matthew Johnson Harris is putting together where we'll all have the opportunity to cut loose and celebrate together. Finally, I invite you to an event we're holding on July 5th called We Too Are America, Reclaiming the Red, White, and Blue. This is gonna be a combination of a fashion show and spoken word and just an awesome opportunity to come together and redefine what it means to be patriotic, what it means to be just and fair and for liberty in this country. So I hope you'll attend all of these fabulous offerings and thank you so much for joining us this morning.
be with you. May the peace that passes all understanding be with you now and always. Hi, I'm from Manhattan, sending the love and the peace from Antoine Hopper to all members and everyone out there with a heart. I love you. La paz sea con vosotros. Peace be with you. Amen. 愿主个平安与你同在。Um, and may the peace of God be with you. We got this. Hi, middle family. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace. Peace, peace be with you. Peace be unto you. Que la gracia y paz de Dios esté con todos ustedes. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Or in German, Friede sei mit euch. Peace be with you. Good morning. Peace be with you. Oh look, a hand! May the peace of God be with you. Morning, friends. Peace be with you. Peace be with you, middle family. Love you. Mwah. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Carry it to the ones you love. Hello, my little brothers and sisters. Elizabeth here. I'm wishing you so much peace. We are in Inwood, and we are wishing you peace this morning. Peace be with you, middle family. This is Bianca. I'm out in Brooklyn, breathing with you and wishing you peace. Ah, si te quiero mucho. Comes from the Book of Leviticus, chapter twenty-five, verses one through four and eight through ten. The sabbatical year. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, "Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, 
When you enter the land that I'm giving you, the land shall observe a Sabbath for the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard, and gather in their yield. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune the vineyard. The year of Jubilee. You shall count off seven weeks of seven years, seven times seven years, so that the period of seven weeks of years gives 49 years. Then you shall have the trumpet sounded loud. And on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, you shall have the trumpet sounded throughout all your land. And you shall hallow the fiftieth year, and you shall proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. You shall return every one of you to your property and every one of you to your family. This is the word of God for the people of God. In the book of Leviticus comes a term that we have used many times in conversation, in theological conversation, in preaching moments, in justice moments, the word jubilee. The reason I titled this message today, Divine Reset, is because jubilee, from the hand of God to the children of Israel, was given by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. And God suggested two things to, Mo to Moses. One was what I call a short-term jubilee, and the other a long-term jubilee. And just to move quickly toward definition and application, jubilee was often used as a time to let the land rest and to let the people rest. Came periodically after six years of the fields yielding fruit. In the seventh, they rested. It was a very logical agricultural move because the land needed an opportunity for the rains to come some of the floods to come to bring the deposits to the land that would encourage the soil to bear forth fruit. But there was another jubilee, the one that was seven weeks of years. It was called the 50th year, after the 49th year, the 50th year, which was a jubilee that was designed by God for the children of Israel to have a full stop, a complete reset. Time to restore one another, time to restore families, time to eliminate debt, time to forgive, time to reset. And I wanna begin in my conversation today, in my sharing today, that that's what I believe we are in right now. I believe that circumstances are suggesting, in fact, are making it clear that it's time for a full stop. Let me be more specific. It is time to stop trying to make things work that are broken at the core. When I was a little girl coming up in the Pentecostal church, the old folks used to sing a song that said, stop, turn around, look and see how you've been living in the world. And you know, in Black Pentecostalism, we sing the same line over and over and over and over until you get it. 
And that was what the song said, stop, turn around, look and see how you've been living in the world. Stop, turn around, look and see how you've been living in the world. And then sometimes the application would be what you've been doing, where you've been going, how you've been living in the world. I think that this country and countries all over our living planet have been given a divine opportunity to stop, turn around, look and see. How have we been living in the world? And I contend that we need a spirit of jubilee. In fact, I want to go a little further and say, I believe that the spirit of God is sending to us a spirit, a wind of jubilee. Why do we need it? Well, let's talk about wealth for just a moment. The sickness of wealth and entitlement is epidemic in our world. The unrest in our cities, not just across the US, but across the world has made the world almost seem very small because we are all in this together. And this demonstration of pushing back against the sickness of wealth and entitlement and the sickness of abuse. Black Lives Matter this week is not only about the murder of George Floyd. It is about the justice divide between black folks and white folks. And in this country, black and white citizens, the latest manifestation and struggle will continue until access to the wealth gap between white people and black people is addressed. And what is the greatest wealth gap in our nation? It is the stark divide between how much capital white people and black people control. There is a stark divide. By one estimate, the typical white family has wealth of $171,000. That's an average. This is nearly 10 times greater than the $17,150 average for black families. And let me put that another way. The typical black household remains poorer than 80% of white households. And the stunning wealth gap between the races has persisted in good times and bad over the past 70 years. It did not get better after the civil rights era legislation in the 60s or even during the Obama administration. And this is the underlying fuel for unrest in our nation. Black economists continue to say that a principal historical cause for this wage gap was and is indentured slavery. The gap has its roots in the labor of one class for the benefit of another class. And Jim Crow laws put in place shortly after the Civil War also kept black people impoverished on purpose. A more recent and complex cause was the systemic exclusion of black people from the US housing market beginning in 1920. 
Housing is one of the main engines of accumulating wealth in America. Restrictive laws were put on houses that limited where black people could live. And these laws, these covenants combined with discriminatory credit policies kept black people from building wealth. At the same time, government policies were put in place to assist whites to build wealth through housing. For instance, in Minneapolis, where the current protests began after the death of George Floyd while being detained by police, white Americans first benefited from the Homestead Act. Some of you know about it because your parents and grandparents were living during that time when white soldiers were coming from World War II. They were giving low-cost, cheap loans to buy homes in the suburbs. But these neighborhoods and this opportunity was off limits to black people. And the only props, excuse me, and the only prosperous black community in the city, in the city was burned to the ground to build a highway from Minneapolis to St. Paul. This happened to other black communities on the rise. You know something about the Greenville Massacre. Wherever black communities seemed to push beyond and become prosperous, they were victimized often by the Ku Klux Klan. This nation needs to stop blaming a whole race of people for not acquiring what was not, and in many cases, still is not accessible. Let's be clear, let's be honest before God. Banks don't lend equally. This nation could fix this by setting aside funds for the express purpose of making loans and education and healthcare specifically available to communities that have contributed to the wealth of this young nation. And the nation cannot blame people who do not have what was stolen from them. The United States of America is indebted to African-Americans, no matter how angry our leaders in the White House get by hearing this. Equal wealth jubilee. This is holy work. How about our planet? She needs to rest. We need a more earth-friendly existence. And just one element of that, our seas, our oceans are filled with plastics that will never go away. And the numbers are staggering. There are 5.25 trillion pieces of plastic debris in the ocean. Of that mass, 269,000 tons float on the surface of the ocean. 4 billion plastic microfibers per square kilometer litter the deep ocean. Plastic killing sea animals who are eaten by other sea animals that are harvested and fished by humans who are eating plastic through sea animals and who are diseased and are living with cancer as a result. We must reduce our footprint. 
or we won't have a footprint. What we do or don't do, our grandchildren will pay for. I'll say it again, what we do or what we don't do, our grandchildren will pay for it. And our mother earth is tired. Earth, rest, jubilee. This is holy work. And let's talk about religion. There are some religious beliefs that almost all of humankind adopted. One in particular that has always intrigued me is God bless you when somebody sneezes. Have you noticed that? When somebody sneezes, usually someone around, whether they believe in God or not, will say, God bless you. When you cough or blow your nose, nobody blesses you. But there's something about speaking life and healing and good fortune over a sneeze that has been part of human belief universally for millennia. When you sneezed, the Romans would say salve or good health to you. When you sneezed, the Greeks would say long life to you. Pope Gregory the Great would say God bless you because a sneeze was attributable to certain forms of the plague. The Germans would say Gesundheit or health to you for the same reason. The Arab countries with Muslim influence would say Alamdu li Allah or praise be to God, you lived. <laughs> the Hindu word that means live well would be given when you sneeze. In Russia, they would say roasty Bolshoi or grow strong and live long or grow strong and grow up. And in some Chinese dialects, the response is interpreted, may you live 100 years. If humankind can come up with universal words for healing a sneeze across time, language, belief systems, age, race, gender, sexuality, and governments. Surely, people who say that we know the divine can come up with words to articulate the divine of our understanding without needing to harm one another. Surely, we can find healing intersections in our holy writ, surely. We can see God and good beyond the frailty of our languages, our customs, our interpretations, our race, our time-honored beliefs, and our practices. Surely, our common teachings on love and doing no harm should at least have as much power as Gesundheit. To do this, there are some things we need to fix about religion. I would venture to say that our inability and unwillingness to fix what religion now defends in many places is what is part and parcel to what is happening in our world right now. In particular, we need to fix the what I I call thugs for God stories, or stories that suggest that God is thuggish and on the sides of thugs. When David killed Uriah 
and took Bathsheba. That was thuggish. We can't make it anything else. It was thuggish. He was the king, but it was thuggish. Yet he is known not only as a king, but as a king after God's own heart. Because we look beyond his thuggishness. I'm not suggesting he wasn't a great man, that he didn't do great things, but that does not fix the reality that he did something that was thuggish. When Saul was on his way to Damascus to destroy the people of the way, he was a certified religious thug, carrying out orders from the Sanhedrin. And the conquest and reconquest of Byzantium and Constantinople and Istanbul, by the way, those are three different names of the same city, depending on which religious thug was in charge. And in a series of some of the history's bloodiest wars, all of these leaders fought in the name of God and religion while blood ran in the streets. Each conqueror and his crusaders believed themselves and their brand of religion to be the will of God, no matter how thuggish they were. As long as they wore the symbol of their faith, that was all that mattered. Just wear the cross or just wear the scepter or just hold up a Bible for a photo op and stand next to the statue of a Pope or quote from two Corinthians. You can make yourself a God approved thug and your self-righteousness and your self-righteous army becomes a holy army because you are God's thug. Who are the religious people who will empower a thug? Who are the people who name the name of God and will empower someone who mistreats, demeans, and demoralizes the people of God, who will destroy a race to lift up another? Who are the religious people who will empower a thug? Those who benefit from the thug's power and thinks that God winks at evil just for their benefit. This is how religion sanctifies a thug. Perceived ways to get into God's favor come in many forms and they buy pardons for thugs. Perceived ways to get into God's favor come in many forms and buy pardons for thugs. A religious thug can do things like enact religious freedom laws and church people will love them. A religious thug can diminish and abuse women and church people will love them. A religious thug can demonize and disempower LGBT people and their families. And there are church people that will just love them. A religious thug can vilify immigrants 
prioritize the wealthy at the expense of the poor, disregard the health of the planet, and religious people will still love them. And they'll say, say what you want to about him. Say what you want to about her. That's God's thug and my thug. But I want you to hear me today. A thug is a thug. In fact, the culture of religion can be mistaken as the kingdom of God when the practices that have been made holy by that culture do not honor God. Having many followers and money appears to be symbols of God's approval. The greatest current confusion right now is how is it that a great nation and a great national religion cannot command God to get these people out of the street, cannot command God to get COVID-19 under control, cannot command God to kill the gays, cannot con command God to force other nations to respect our power, cannot command God to make the mayor of Washington, D.C. take Black Lives Matter out from in front of the White House. And I declare to you today, today is thuggish religion jubilee. And this is holy work. Finally, my beloved, we cannot bring long-term equality and systemic change to people if we do not believe that all people deserve to thrive. All people, all people deserve to thrive. Pre-existing conditions, which is by the way, a code name for black and brown people at fault for their own illness and their own issue. It does not take inequality under consideration. Disproportionate realities and opportunities for African-Americans before COVID-19 make African-Americans vulnerable to COVID-19. There is no shelter in place without a shelter. Lack of access to rest time and healthy food, lack of insurance for preventative treatment, inadequate income, receiving primary care in emergency rooms creates pre-existing conditions. Neighborhoods with mold, leaching toxins from dumps and drinking lead water, like the children in Flint still do, creates pre-existing conditions. We need a blaming the victim jubilee. And this is holy work. I wanna thank you young people. I wanna thank young adults in particular of every hue and every background for standing up for the George Floyds of our present and our past. This is not the first march, but I declare every round goes higher and higher. Thank you for staying the course to move the conversation to the holy work of demanding a jubilee reset for this nation. We need rest and we need justice. We need rest and we need justice. 
We need a full stop. We need a full stop. And we need a full reset until justice runs down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Good morning, Middle. My name is Patrick Love, and I'm coming to you from Springfield, Massachusetts. I first walked through the doors of Middle in late summer 2017. That first worship was like no other I had ever experienced in my life. The place was packed. There was a diverse, energetic, joyous, and enthusiastic congregation. The music and singing were spectacular. There was applause and three standing ovations, two for singing and one for Jackie's sermon. In my entire church-going life, that was the first time I ever heard applause after a sermon. I was hooked. Personally, at the time, I was between jobs and commuting every other week out to Ohio for a temporary gig, so it limited my active involvement in community beyond services. Then I got this job in Springfield, Massachusetts, and headed up here at the end of the summer of 2018. Despite my sort of part-time and short-lived in-person membership, the experience marked me. It showed me that the world I wanted to live in could exist because it exists here. A diverse, loving, learning, welcoming, embracing community intent on changing the world. Middle has marked me as hers. When I moved to Massachusetts, I would periodically watch the stream of the 1145 service. It was okay. Great to see the sanctuary. Great to hear the choirs, choruses, and solos. And of course, to be fed spiritually by Jackie. But it was also kind of like looking in from a rear window. I could see it, but I didn't really feel like I was part of it. Then the shutdown came. And with it, a fully produced, online, engaging experience of middle. Suddenly, I was part of the service. I felt a part of the community again. I could message friends in the chat bar. The team that has produced these experiences has done a wonderful job. What it made me realize is that we can scale up middle to provide a spiritual home to anyone with access to computer and a Wi-Fi. I pray when this lockdown ends and the doors of the sanctuary are once again thrown open that we don't go back to the old way of doing it. Middle is a revolutionary movement that is ready to change the world. This is evidenced by the several thousand people who took part in Jackie's anti-racism workshop this week. Middle has the mission. Middle has the message. Middle has the talent. Middle has the leadership and Middle has the platform. But to scale up this community across the country and the globe, Middle needs resources. Middle needs our resources. While every single gift matters, I am specifically speaking to those among you who are like me, gainfully employed when others aren't, in a job that pays me a handsome salary, and life circumstances that allow me to give from my wealth, not like the widow in the parable out of her poverty. I am speaking to you. Please step up and fund this church and the transformation of the world. And you know there are multiple ways to give. You can go to the website and click the donate button. 
You can find Middle on Facebook and click that donate button. You can gift, you can send your gift via text message 917-924-4666. Just text the amount. You can send your gift through Venmo. The handle is at Middle Collegiate Church. Middle needs you to empower love and justice in our community. We cannot do it without your help. Thank you. I love you all. You know New York, you need New York, you know you need unique New York. You know New York, you need New York, you know you need unique New York. Very good. merciful God. Accept now these gifts that have been given in the form of Venmo, via a church website, in the form of gifts that have been given in our hearts and in our minds. Because we know the urgency of this moment and we know the goodness of this movement of love and justice. God, use these gifts now, both financial and those of commitment of mind 
and time to further your goodness in this world. Amen. And now let's sing together our closing hymn. And hold my breath Scared to rock the boat And make a mess So I said why me A green me I guess that I forgot I had a choice Let you push me Past the breaking point I stood for nothing So I fell for everything You held me down But I got up Oh!
Hey everyone, Jackie here. As the Poor People's Campaign wraps up its amazing work today, I'm taking a little Sabbath now and I'm sending gratitude to Bishop Barber and to Rob Stevens and to Kelly Smith for all of the things that they do in the world around this Poor People's Campaign to make me proud, to make the world a better place. I'm also sending thanks to Bishop Evelyn Flunder who preached a stunning sermon today for us. I'm so glad to call her my friend. She's just outstanding. She always says, ain't no closet profits. Can you see my hat? It's not exactly the same, but the sentiment is. Either we're profits for the resistance or we're not. Either we're working to, an, to create an anti-racist world healed of poverty and discrimination or we're not. Either we're revolutionaries or we're not. I want you to find your inner revolutionary, your inner badass, because you are needed in this movement for love and justice, honey. So let's suit up with our love armor and heal the world. Amen. All right. Come on. I know what place. Ain't nobody crying. Yeah.